Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr Virginia Reid and today I'm delighted to be discussing with Professor Peter Clifton of the Baker IDI Heart and Diabetes Centre, the place of plant sterile enriched foods in a healthy diet and the prevention of cardiovascular disease and stroke. Welcome Peter. Thanks Virginia. What are plant sterols? Well plant sterols are the plant equivalent to cholesterol so they're very very similar to cholesterol which you only find in animal products and they just differ by a few extra groups on their side chain. So basically the plant has them in their cell wall just the same as animals have cholesterol in their cell wall and their membranes. So, so plant sterols, you say that they're similar to the ones in animal products. That's right. Are they the fats in diet? Um, well, sterols are special things. So that They're basically cholesterol and cholesterol derivatives. So yes, it is a fat because it is uh, not water-soluble. Um, but cholesterol is quite a complex mix of four rings fused together. So it's different from the you know white and yellow fat that you have on the outside of, of meat. Okay, and the yellow ones, they're problematic, yes, for humans? They're much more problematic for humans. Well, for several reasons. One is that they're very energy-dense um, and it's very easy to put on weight eating, a lot of them. Now, the animal... Cholesterol, as opposed to the plant sterol, problematic in that in some people they can put up their blood cholesterol. Cholesterol is an essential ingredient to life. I mean, we all have cholesterol in our cell membranes and our cell walls and membranes all within the cells. And if you remove cholesterol, the, the whole structure would collapse. So we actually have to have cholesterol and the body synthesizes cholesterol. So every cell is capable of synthesizing cholesterol. So even though it's quite a long, complex process with about 26 different steps in it, it's essential. So we don't actually need to eat it to make cholesterol because we've got the capacity to make it ourselves. Um, but we do obviously eat cholesterol when we eat animal products. And this is where the plant sterols come in, in that uh, because they're so similar to cholesterol, they can compete with each other in the gut wall. So when you've got a lot of plant sterols in your diet, which you get just by eating lots of uh, vegetables and oil seeds, um, then you absorb less cholesterol because the plant sterol gets absorbed in its place. Oh, I see. So it's displacement on the gut wall when you actually eat the meal. Yes, that's right. I mean, it's actually the, the absorption myself, which is a little packet um, that sort of is helping to digest and solubilize the fat in the gut. Um, the plant still on the cholesterol compete um, for a position on the micelle and then the micelle goes to the gut wall and delivers whatever is left. So if half the cholesterol has been thrown away by the, the sterol, then it will absorb half less cholesterol. Terrific. And does that mean less calories as well, less energy gets absorbed? Uh, no, because the cholesterol actually cannot be broken down into energy. So we have to actually excrete cholesterol in our bowel. So it is recirculated in the bile. So it's excreted in the bile. We reabsorb quite a lot of it, but whatever is left over goes into the bowel and um, we just excrete. So we don't, we can't break it down at all. So it's a very complex molecule that takes a lot of energy to make, but we can't actually break it down. So no, unfortunately, by interfering with cholesterol absorption, you don't interfere with any calorie absorption. Right. So this is solely about not absorbing as much cholesterol in your diet. That's right. And then you get a fall in blood cholesterol. And usually it averages about 10% or so in most people. 10%. Okay. And is it a particular type of cholesterol that gets lowered? Um, 
LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, tends to be lowered. So HDL cholesterol is not affected at all. So it really does affect the one that you want to get low, which is the LDL cholesterol. Right. Okay. Now, a lot of people would say, look, I take a tablet for that, so I don't need to worry. That's true. So if you're taking statins, um, they're much, much more powerful than plant sterols. So plant sterols' role really is in for people that haven't got a high enough cholesterol to worry about taking statins um, so that it's an intermediate kind of position. Um, or, they don't, or they don't want to take statins or they have a, you know, a nasty reaction to statins, which some people do. So in those people, um, sterols would be quite useful. In addition, they also lower the cholesterol on top of the statins, so you will get some additional lowering on top of the statins. Okay, so that means people can take a lower dose of the statins perhaps? Yeah, probably not. I, um, so the, although it's 10% when there's no statin there, it's not as great as 10% with a statin. And in general, all the data about the benefits of statins in preventing recurrent heart attacks is really based on the dose as opposed to the achieved cholesterol. Um, so I wouldn't recommend people reduce their statin dose just because they were taking plant sterols. Yes, they'll get a lower LDL, but that's probably a good thing. I'd keep the dose exactly the same. Okay, so in other words, the actual statin, we're not too sure that we understand completely how it works. We just know that it does. We, we always thought that it was the lowering of cholesterol, but what you seem to be saying there to me is that they work, but not necessarily because they lower cholesterol. Oh, no, they certainly work because they lower cholesterol, but you get the benefit of the statins regardless of what final cholesterol you achieve. So if you lower your cholesterol, your LDL cholesterol by a millimole, whether you're coming from eight down to seven or four down to three, um, you will get benefit. So if you lower your cholesterol by another 10% more by adding sterols, then you'll get a little bit more benefit. I mean, there are lots of other suggested actions of the statins, but certainly it's the amount of cholesterol lowering is clearly related to the benefit. So rather than being a target that you say, oh, if we get below two, we'd be happy, and then I can reduce the dose. Um, if the sterile has helped me get below two, it's probably not the the best way of looking at it. It's really trying to get its maximum reduction that you can get from whatever starting point you, you start at. Terrific. Thank you for, for clearing that up because I think there would be a number of people that would hope that they could reduce their statin dose or dependence, but that would be the understanding from the literature that the higher statin doses certainly seem to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease in the high-risk groups. That's right, yeah. They reduce it in everybody, but of course the high-risk group have more events. Um, the low-risk group has much fewer events, but the re- percentage reduction, which would be you know, 30-odd percent, um, applies across the board. My guest today is Professor Peter Clifton, Head of the Nutritional Interventions at Baker IDI Heart and Diabetes. So who are the people you believe that would benefit from uh, use of plant sterols? People that would benefit from plant sterols are those that have uh, either an increased risk of, of heart disease um, because they've got high blood pressure or they've got uh, a family history and their cholesterol is not elevated enough to justify the prescription of statins or they don't qualify for statins. So that would be a, a very good group that would want to lower their cholesterol. Plant sterols will lower it by 10% or so. Um, 
people that are on statins, um, maybe they can't tolerate a full dose of statins so because they get muscle aches or pains. So rather than trying to double the dose of statins, again, if you add plant steroids, you'll get a little bit more LDL lowering, so it won't be as good as a, uh, as a dose doubling necessarily, but it might be close to it. And similarly, people that really can't tolerate statins at all, um, there aren't that many other really useful drugs. Um, so steroids, you know, not a bad option. I mean, better to be on the statins, but it's not a bad option. Mm. And just so that we can understand what foods, like how do you get plant steroids in your diet? Well, from a normal unsupplemented diet, if you have lots of uh, vegetables and oil seeds, you will get a reasonable amount of plant steroids. You know, you might get 400 to 800 milligram a day. So a vegetarian diet contains quite a lot of plant steroids. But to actually get that 10% lowering of LDL cholesterol, you need to take foods that are supplemented with plant steroids. So these ones have been extracted from oil seeds and then put into products like margarine and milk and yogurt. So there you need, you know, one and a half to two grams a day um, total. And you're only going to achieve that kind of level by... Um, taking supplemented foods. So margarine is probably the most cost-effective way of getting it in. Uh, so it's the cheapest per per gram. Right, so the sterile-enhanced margarines, and that's, that's right. fairly clearly stated on their um, lead, etc. You'll know because you're paying four times as much for them compared yes. to an ordinary margarine as well. Yes. What is the equivalent? Is it a teaspoon or a day? To get you one and a half grams, it's usually the order of about... 30 grams, so that's six five-gram teaspoons. So it's a, it's a reasonable amount. So you actually have to be conscientious about making use of it. So you know, you've got to have toast and sandwich with the, the margarine on. And the main problem is that people don't really get enough to get their one and a half grams. So about 25 to 30 grams. Probably 25 is close to give you the 1.5 gram. So 25 grams of margarine a day. Yeah. And that's almost sort of, Five teaspoons, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. right. Boy. That's more than most people use. Yes, yes. It seems quite decadent too <laughs> because uh, we're often being told not to use, you know, uh, spreads, certainly not at that amount or level. Well, it's, I guess it's decadent only in the sense of um, extra calories, but if you are lean, then that's not an issue and that's polyunsaturated or monounsaturated depending on which margarine you buy and that's always going to help lower your cholesterol as well so margarines when you add them to your normal diet will lower your LDL cholesterol because they are made from plant these oils that are high in sterols and also because of the polyunsaturated or monounsaturated fat that will lower your cholesterol as well okay so that that has the same effect on the gut membrane uh, it's a different mechanism altogether. Uh, in general, it probably works in the liver by taking the cholesterol in the cell and putting it into storage, and that forces the cell to um, increase its uptake out of blood, and it lowers the, the blood cholesterol level a bit. So it's a totally different mechanism. That I mean, it's not 100% clear how polyunsaturated fat works, but that's the belief that it enhances the storage of cholesterol in the liver. And it doesn't have as much clout or it isn't as effective as the plant sterols? No, not per gram really. So that uh, you'll certainly get maybe a 5% lowering of LDL cholesterol with a high poly diet, um, but it's pretty easy to get a 10% lowering with uh, you know one and a half grams of 
and plant sterols. So probably plant sterols are four or five times more active than polyunsaturated fat itself. And besides margarine, where else can you find plant sterols? Uh, milk. Um, what, what sort of milk? Is it soy milk? No, I don't think there is any soy milk. So it's ordinary milk. Um, it's just a, and it's clearly labelled as a plant sterol in rich oh, milk. Okay. And I can't recall seeing any soy milks um, that have been supplemented with sterols. But so it's ordinary dairy milk. Right. Right, it's clearly labelled again. Yes, very clearly labelled. And what about the oils that you find in the seeds themselves, say sesame seeds, you know, linseeds, They, they all contain plant sterols um, at a relatively low level. Um, probably the highest level is found in soybean oil. Um, you will have some plant sterols in there, but it may be only at the, uh, you know, a couple of hundred milligrams per litre. Uh, as opposed to 1.5 grams per 25 grams in margarine, so quite a different scale. Okay. And vegetables themselves? And vegetables themselves have um, some plant sterols in them. So if you're on a vegetarian diet, you can certainly get up to six or 800 milligram a day of total sterols. And is that just from fresh vegetables themselves? Yeah, so it's just the vegetables themselves because no every... No particular vegetable? I can't think, I mean, apart from the oil seeds, which are a rich source, I can't think of any other vegetables that are really uh, concentrated. So it's really just a function of cell walls, so that, you know, you're just eating the plant cell walls and getting the um, the sterile that's in the plant cell wall. Right. So there's no more plant sterols, though, in, say, carrots versus celery? Not that I'm aware of, but I haven't actually looked at the figures for plant sterols in individual vegetable foods because they're not used as a source um, of plant sterols for, for isolating and adding to the margarines. What plants are or what um, substances well, are? certainly soybean because it's so huge in America. Um, and the other major source is pine trees. Um, so they are relatively low level, but you can extract, because of the pine industry, extract quite a lot. So in um, Scandinavia particularly, um, they get sterols and stanols from pine trees. They'll extract the the pine oil out and then extract the sterile out of the pine oil. Okay, and then that's what they use in spreads and things? Yes, yes. Ah, has that been going on for a long time? Or? It is, yeah, that's been going on for a very long time. As long as, as, long as soybean oil has been used, yes. It's called tall oil. Right. You're listening to Wellbeing. My guest today is Professor Peter Clifton and we're discussing plant sterols and their role in a healthy diet. Is there a particular sort of um, recommendation from the nutritionalists? We know that a vegetarian diet certainly lowers your risk of cardiovascular disease and ischemic heart disease. Those big epidemiological studies have kind of proven that. Although my husband used to live in India and he, he said, the incidence of cardiovascular disease really rocketing there because of the affluence. But a lot of them are, are vegetarian, yes, but they're actually quite overweight. And that's right, and got diabetes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So does it depend also on how lean you are? Well, I guess in general when you're leaner, the plant sterols are probably more effective. So people with who are overweight and obese and have got metabolic syndrome, tend not to absorb cholesterol so well. So there's a bit of data. Cholesterol or plant sterols? Well, cholesterol. So clearly if you're a 
if you're a very big absorber of cholesterol, Mm. then you're much more sensitive to plant sterols having an effect. If you're a poorer absorber of cholesterol, the plant sterols are going to have lesser effect. Because mm. mm. um, even if they do reduce it by 50%, it's 50% of a small amount as opposed to 50% of a large amount. Um, but certainly um, in Indians, the major problem really is type 2 diabetes related to obesity. And that will, that will swamp any benefit from their vegetarian diet. Yeah. So in other words, if you were advising people to have six or eight teaspoons of margarine a day, you wouldn't be, even if it was plant sterol enriched in someone who was obese. That's right. I mean, I think uh, as it's a bit of a trade. I mean, they could trade those calories for something else, you know, have much less starch or bread or rice um, and have healthy oils. I mean, that's going to improve their cardiovascular risk, but most people, of course, don't make those sort of trades, they'll just tend to add it to exactly. their current food intake. So how do you, do you practice what you preach? <laughs> oh, I, ask? I, my, I don't, I use margarine. Yes. I don't, I don't have a huge amount, but I don't use plant sterile margarine. My cholesterol's four or something. Um, and my absolute cardiovascular risk is incredibly low. So to me, it's not worthwhile paying the extra money to, to get plant sterile enriched margarines, but I certainly use ordinary margarines as a spread. Yes. And so you don't have a very high risk from the point of view of you, you're a non-smoker, you exercise right. regularly, you've got no family history, etc., yep. etc. normal way, yeah. So my overall absolute risk is really very low. So yep. there'd be no justification for using any agent, whether it was a plant sterile or otherwise, to lower cholesterol. Mm. But your cholesterol of four is partly because you eat a healthy diet because you've got You've got a lot of Poss- knowledge. Possibly, about that. I mean, I think genes are probably the most important thing that dictate your absolute level of cholesterol. You can shift it around a bit, maybe by ten or fifteen percent. But my cholesterol being four and someone else's being eight, it's going to be genes more than anything else. Right. Okay. So the important thing is for us to understand who is affected, and and then target them. Yeah. And teach them about diet. Yeah. So if anybody came to see me and they had a in a high family risk of coronary disease and they wanted to do their best to try to reduce their own personal risk, plant sterols would be good for them. Or someone whose cholesterol was, you know, say six, but they didn't qualify for statins. Um, but they were worried about having a cholesterol of six, plant sterols would be quite good for them as well. And when you say qualify, you mean on the public benefits oh, scheme? That's right, yes. Yeah, the scripts. Yep. Right, okay. And... So it's important to work out cardiovascular risk and there are various tools for doing that and there's various people that are trained to do that. Well, in fact, anybody can do it because they just go onto the web, um, uh-huh. do a search for cardiovascular risk calculator right. and all that will ask you for is your age, your gender, your cholesterol and triglyceride and your blood pressure. And some of them will ask for diabetes, yes or no, and that will give you then a you know, a rate of disease over the next five or ten years. So anybody can use it. So providing they've got those numbers uh, at hand, they can put them in. So just Google cardiovascular risk calculator. Calculator. Yes. Fantastic. And all they need to have done is had their blood pressure done and had their fasting lipids done. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to emphasize fasting because I do see some... (laughs) Well, it doesn't actually have to be fasting because fasting doesn't really influence total cholesterol at all. Ah. It'll change triglyceride a bit. So if you... Um, have had a big fatty meal, your triglyceride will be elevated by 30 or 40%. So 
most of the time non-fasting lipids are, are pretty reasonable um, to use as a to put into a calculator. Fantastic. That's good to know because I um, work with people who often aren't fasted when they have their cholesterol done. And, um, yeah, I mean, yes, their triglycerides, their diabetic population, so the triglycerides are high. We've been trying for a while, haven't we, to pin poor health on triglycerides, but uh, the direct effect of triglycerides is not really known, is it? When you relate triglycerides to heart disease, they are related, but when you adjust for other factors like HDL, which is inversely related to triglyceride, it knocks them out. Now, people have always assumed that the HDL, that's the more important thing, and the triglycerides are just um, an accompaniment. But it may be actually the triglycerides are more important than the HDL. No one really knows, but they run together all the time. And when you when you adjust for the HDL, it knocks triglyceride out completely in most studies. So, uh, so for the, the listeners, the HDL is the good one, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's what right. you want to be high, and that's vegetarians it. tend to be higher, have higher levels um, of HDL. Well, it, it depends on their leanness. If so, if they are leaner, yes, they will tend to have a higher HDL. Ah. Uh, and really, the, the HDL again, like total cholesterol, is set genetically, um, and that's probably the most powerful influence. Now, if you're a smoker. Uh, or if you're really obese, then of course you can drop your HDL. But, you know, if your HDL is 0.8 or 0.9, the best you can probably expect to do by changing all of those lifestyle things and becoming more active and losing weight might be to get it up to 1 or 1.1. So you're never going to get it to 1.8 or 2, whereas some people will have it genetically set at that much higher level. Oh, rats, and I thought it was because I was so <laughs> good. Oh, that's 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 knocked the wind out of my sails. And of course, women <laughs> women have much higher HDL cholesterol levels than men. So yeah, you know, particularly men are one point one to one point two. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's why we, on the whole, tend to live ten years yeah, longer than that's, men. That's 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 the belief. Maybe estrogen itself rather than the HDL, but um, certainly people believe it's the HDL. Yeah, that's true. As long as you don't succumb to endometrial cancer. Oh, so it goes on. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you. I think we've we've cleared up the fact that for some people it's it's a really good idea, yes. uh, plant sterols, and well worth it. But if you're going to use them in the enriched margarines and things, it, if you don't want to put on weight, which is the leanness that you're talking about, um, when you say lean, what's your definition of lean, or how do you define lean? Ah, uh, BMI of twenty five or under. Yeah. And the BMI again is. Well, they, they, can have, they can use a calculator on the web, but it's basically uh, weight over height squared in metres. So, you know, if you're 1.8 metres, you square that, that's 3.2, and you divide that into your weight in kilograms. So if you're 80 kilograms, you divide by 3.2, you're going to get 25-ish. Right. So lean for you is a BMI of... 25 or under. Yeah. 25 or under. Okay. And they're the people who probably are not going to benefit that much from plant sterols. Oh, uh, no, they'll benefit more. The lean people will benefit probably more than the, the fatter people. Right. And, of course, there's no relationship between body weight and cholesterol, so you can be incredibly lean and look healthy and still have a, a cholesterol of 8 or 9. Yes, and that would be just bad luck in the gene pool. That's right. In that department. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of people, you know, knowing about sterols and, and consuming them now, do you think? 
Um, Australia is actually quite a successful market for plant steroids compared to other markets. Like in the US, they're very small and most people, more people take drugs than, uh, than plant steroids. So Australia's been relatively successful. Um, and the target group, say, you know, men of 55 and above do tend to buy them or their wives buy them, buy the margarine, but, um, the use is pretty low. So, you know, the dose that they're getting per day is going to be much, much less than, than will have an effect on cholesterol. So they're being underutilized, even though they're a reasonable number of people are buying them. Okay. So perhaps there's a little bit of a lack of understanding of how to How much use you need. Them. Yes. I think for me, the, the issue would be the substitution thing in terms of calories because you don't want to lose that leanness either. No. You know, that's probably one of the more potent, um, reductions in risk. So you'd need to sort of come to a point where you understood that you really ought to only have one piece of toast, but a, a lot of margarine, because we've, we've been sort of trained the other way around, if you like. Sure. And the other way you can put it is, you know, on your vegetables at night. Mm. Um, yes. That, Start to use that more than, you know, a large piece of steak. Yeah. Much smaller piece of steak and put it on your veggies. Yep, and that's that would a good plan. it would be good for satiety, wouldn't it? It'd be good for for if you were hungry. Um, fat's not actually all that flash at making you feel less hungry. I mean, protein. So the piece of steak or the piece of fish is much more powerful than than uh, margarine on bread in terms of making you feel full. Unfortunately, but it's probably better than a, a bag of chips. There's no doubt about that. And how do they do those studies where they assess satiety? Do they ask people or do they measure something else? <laughs> uh, well, there are two kinds of studies. One, you give people a standard, you know, say a thousand calories of, of meat or a thousand calories of bread. And then you ask them how full you feel or how hungry you feel. And that would be the more common one. And then sometimes at the end of the study, two or three or four hours later, you then get them to have a a buffet meal and measure what they eat. Um, so with something like protein, probably 80% of the time when you do that kind of test, people will say they feel fuller on the protein. Then when you, then when you do the test of how much they eat, about only about half the time do they actually eat less on the protein meal versus the, say the carbohydrate meal. So although people say that they're feeling fuller, it doesn't actually translate into, into action in terms of re- reduced intake at the buffet meal. Okay. There's a lot of psychology in satiety, isn't there? There is, very much. Well, thank you very much. It's been an amazing discussion about uh, fats and diet and and sterols and all sorts of things, really. Um, I appreciate your expertise in the nutritional field. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. I've been speaking with Professor Peter Clifton from the Baker IDI Heart and Diabetes Centre here on Wellbeing. I'm Dr Virginia Reid and from all of us at Wellbeing, we wish you well.